Good morning. Please use your connection card uh, this morning in your bulletin and turn that in the offering basket when they're passed a little bit later. Turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Last Sunday, last Sunday we looked at the first of eight Jehovah names of God. This summer we're just spending the time trying to dive in deeper, understand the name of God, and there are multiple names for Him as you go through the Old Testament. So last week we looked at Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. The basic idea that we learned was is that God will provide for us what we are unable to provide for ourselves. What we cannot provide. And we need to let God do what God does. And trust Him for His provision. This morning we're looking at the second Jehovah name for God. And it's Jehovah Shalom. The Lord our peace. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. I encourage you to pick up a note taker there on your chair and maybe take a, a few notes as we walk through this great name of God and understand how we can have peace in God and peace through God. Judges chapter 6. I want to just highlight some verses throughout this chapter. So let's just jump right in and look at verse 1 and 2. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years He gave them into the hands of the Midianites because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Now you say, what's important about that? those couple of verses? Israelites at one time were God-following, God-fearing people, but at this time in their culture, they were not fearing God any longer. This time in a the culture, they were living as though they did not even know God, and so God hands them over to another a group of people, the Mennonites, basically to try to get their attention. Verse 3 says, Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Mennonites, the Achimelites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all, all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. I mean, what, what you hear there is how destructive, how destructive the Mennonites were towards the Israelite people by destroying their crops and, and their donkeys and their animals. And God allowed that to happen for seven years. Jump down to verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. That is not Oprah. She's a television character. This is Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Aborazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from, Men from the Mennonites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. So you see there's an abandonment going on. At the same time, Gideon's asking questions like, Why? And asking questions like, Where are you, God, that all this troublesome, hard stuff is going on? And then jump down to verse 23 and 24, and the Scripture says, But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abizrites. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, 
speak to us this morning through your Scripture. God, as we just look at this in the Old Testament, the book of Judges and what happened here between Gideon and the Israelites and Midianites, Lord, there is so much for us to learn and to understand about you as the God of peace, as Shalom. And so, Father, speak in this room right now. Lord, I imagine there's some in this room that are struggling and wrestling with being discontented, wrestling with a lack of peace, wrestling with stress and being overwhelmed. And so, Father, I pray and ask that you would speak to each and every person in this room today and help us, Lord, how to understand and how to grab on the peace that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One commentator was talking about the Midianites, and the guy wrote these words, says, there were so many Midianites coming against the Israelites that they seemed like locusts. They couldn't even be counted. They overran Israel crops. They devastated their farmland. They undid years' worth of planting, toiling, and cultivating. In just a short time, the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of God, so he removed his protective hand from them and allowed the Midianites to take control. Just imagine... If everything in your life that you've been working for is taken away, your retirement accounts are gone, your source of food is gone, your source of income is gone, you lost your job, imagine they, everything that you have, that you put your hand on, that you say God's providing this, is now all being taken away from you. That's what was going on in the account. The author went on and said the Midnights didn't overpower them on their own. God let them. God let them bring His people low as a consequence of Israel's rebellious actions against him. He let them hit rock bottom just as he sometimes lets us hit rock bottom when we've walked away from him in our hearts and in our actions. Seven years this went on for. Seven years we try to grow, we try to plant, we try to build, we try to harvest And God kept letting that get destroyed. When the Israelite planted crops, the Mennonites would destroy them and steal them. The Israelites had fled up in the mountain and tried to find shelter in caves. Like, okay, we'll get away from there where they can't find us. And we pick up the account in Judges chapter 6. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, I imagine most of us probably haven't been through threshing wheat in a wine press. But I do know this. It's usually not done in secret. And he's off hiding somewhere trying to thresh wheat in the wine press so the Mennonites won't see him and he'll have something to eat. He takes off in some cave somewhere like maybe they won't find me. And verse 11, the angel Lord comes and sits under a tree and watches Gideon work. I love to see that picture. Like, God, can you flash that to me, a picture? And there's Gideon working and there is uh, this angel of the Lord sitting and watching. Verse 12, he addresses him and says, O mighty man of valor. He calls Gideon a mighty man. Verse 13, Gideon asks a question that people have wandered forever. He doesn't say, yes, I'm a mighty man of valor. I am so great. Thank you for speaking to me. He talks back to the Spirit of God and says, if God is with us, why is all this junk happening? If God is with us, why is all this bad stuff happening? You ever ask that question? Am I the only one? You guys ever ask that question? Have you ever asked God, God, why? Why the pain? Why the sorrow? Why the hardship? Why the difficulties? Why am I walking through this? Some people erroneously believe there shouldn't be any problems in their personal promised land. I've come to Jesus, now I'm one of His, I'm in the promised land, and sometimes we think there should be no problems, no conflicts, no challenges, no difficulties, no giants, no walled cities, no mountains, no opposition to overcome, and the only people that really understand that and believe that there's absolutely no problem are people who believe the lies from Satan. 
Because Satan will tell us, you come to Christ and there are no problems. I'm going to tell you, it's just the opposite sometimes. You come to Christ and sometimes the problems get to be more. Where do people get that? I mean, when the Israelites came to the promised land, they had to face all of it in order that they might need God, that they might trust God, that they might depend on God, and that they might love God. Sometimes our challenges drive us to our knees so that we realize we need God. Verse 13 says, where are all the great miracles God did for our fathers? He was asking. They used to tell us about how God brought them out of Egypt. Our story is God handed us over the Midianites. Gideon knew the mess they were in. He knew the challenges they were facing because they were on the outs with God. Verse 14, the angel of the Lord said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. And Gideon hadn't fought a single battle of any kind ever. And the angel's like, you're going to go and fight. And Midian's like, what, me? I mean, his family? Gideon's never fought a battle. In verse 15, Gideon said, but Lord, my, my family is the weakest in the tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house, and you want me to lead my family that's weak, and I'm the youngest in the battle against them? And the angel of the Lord said, I'm sending you. But he also confirmed them, it's not your battle, it'll be mine. You won't need your strength, you're only going to need my strength. It's an awesome story. And what you start to realize is that God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. Think about that for a moment. God doesn't look down at you and look down at me and say, oh, you've got everything in line. You've been through Bible school. You've done this. You've gone to college. You're now top of the class. And now you're top of business. And because you're so qualified, I'm going to use you. God usually comes along and says, listen, you are unskilled. You are ordinary people. You can't speak the language. You don't quite understand what I'm trying to do. But you're my person. Trust me, and I will qualify you. He will call you when you feel like it's impossible for me to do. He regularly, sovereignly chooses the ordinary to do extraordinary things. And you see that in book of Acts chapter 4 when he says, I chose unqualified, unschooled men to be my disciples. He does that continuously. Verse 17, Gideon asks for a sign to know that this is really the Lord. And so he brings out a meal of meat and an unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord told him to pour broth over the meat and over the unloving cakes, and then he touched them with his staff, and instant fire consumed it all, and it all disappeared. And in verse 24, after that experience, Gideon realized, Gideon realized it was really the Lord, and he built an altar, and he called it Jehovah Shalom, the name of God. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. And this is where we get the name for the Lord our peace. This is really strange. It's really strange because nothing had, had really changed about the circumstances. The Israelites were still under siege from Midianites. Things were still challenging and difficult. They were still losing all their crops and all their livestock. What had changed? I mean, the obvious fact about this story is that peace has nothing to do with tranquility. And a lot of times we want our situations to change so that I can have peace. i got to tell you, not a single thing had changed in Gideon's circumstances in his situation except the Lord gave him peace. 
He was still under difficulty. He was still under hardship. Their whole Israelite group was still under hardship. Nothing was really turning positive, but they had, he had peace. Peace is totally misunderstood by most people. Most people think peace means it's the absence of conflict or the elimination of all problems. Biblically, that is 100% wrong. I want you to know this morning, church, you can be walking through the biggest tornado of life right now, and you can still have peace in the middle of that. You can still have peace. The angel of the Lord told Gideon to do three things. Verse 25, he says, pull down the altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole. Now to us that doesn't mean much, but Asherah poles had a naked woman carved on them. It had in one hand held a lily flower and the other hand held a snake. The lily symbolized sex or femininity and the snake symbolized Satan. And it was an idol of worship. And Gideon is told, take that down. Don't worship that false junk anymore. Secondly, verses 26 and 27, he says, build an altar to God and give an offering. Gideon did this, but he, but he did it at night because he was afraid of what other people might think. He, because he's like, this angel's telling me to build an altar and give an offering to God. And he's thinking, people are going to think I'm crazy. So I'll do that at night in the darkness where people can't see what's going on. And then in verse 14, he tells them, go to war at the midnights. Could you imagine being Gideon? Wait a minute, I'm the youngest in my tribe, my family is weak, and you're telling me to go to war against this group of people, the, the Midianites, who number in thousands and millions more than the locusts? Go take them out. 1 John 3.8 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Midian was given a task to destroy the work of the devil. Romans 16.20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. As Paul was telling the Christians and trying to guide those in Rome, listen, as long as you're walking in Christ, God will crush the difficulties. And that's what Gideon was learning, that God can crush these difficulties. Do the words God of peace and the words crush and destroy go together? Wait, God of peace? And he says, go crush him and destroy him. What a crazy God we serve. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Uh, they do in God's book. They don't in our mind. When we say a God of peace, and we say He says crush and destroy, in our mind, wait, wait, those cannot go together. But in God's book, they go together. The Mennonites were oppressing the nation of Israel, literally starving them to death. There would be no peace in retreat, running or hiding from the Mennonites. They already tried that, going up to the caves. They're starving to death. They can't get away from it. The peace of God that's taught in the Bible is found in the middle of the storms of life. Not in running. See, when you're facing the biggest crisis of life, you can find peace that passes all understanding. When your finest plans are failing, you can find peace in God. When the doctor comes out of the operating and says, there's nothing more I can do, you can still find the peace of God. When your business collapses, when your children disappoint you, when your marriage falls apart, you can still know and find the peace of God. See, the peace of God is not found in running off and retreat somewhere else and getting away from the challenges or problems you face. It's not found in escaping. It's not found in turning to an addiction. Peace of God's not found in dodging reality. It's not found in hiding in your own cave somewhere like Israel was and facing the issues of life with God, knowing that as Jehovah Shalom in the worst of times, He will give you peace, His best peace. That's possible for you and me. John 14, 27, in the middle of a trial and a hardship, when Jesus is telling his disciples the time's about to come. 
I've warned you about it. And they've been walking with Jesus for three plus years. And he says, listen, the time is going to come when I'm going to go and I'm going to die on a cross. And I won't be with you anymore. And what did he say to him in verse 27? He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. They're ready to walk through a turmoil like they'd never experienced before. And he says, I'm going to give you peace. See, Israel was hiding in caves. The Israelites were like, we're in trouble. They took off in caves. Quite possibly, some in this room are doing that today. You're walking through some struggles and difficulties and trials, and you're just hiding out in a cave. Now, they may not be physical caves. They may be mental caves or emotional caves. Everything you have is under attack. Maybe your marriage is under attack, your children are under attack, your business, your finances, and you're trying to rationalize everything, and you're trying to hide from everything, and Christians aren't supposed to bury their heads in the sand or go hide in a cave somewhere. You and I will never have peace until we attack the problems that we face. Until we face them straight on with God. The angel of the Lord told Gideon, I want you to attack the problem. I want you to go to war. I want you to deal with the Midianites. We're called to battle against the forces of Satan and evil. And you say, why? Why am I having these hardships? Because Satan roams around in this world looking for who he can destroy and who he can devour. And James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist is a term of battle. Stand up face to face. It's not a term of run and get away. Resist, does that go with peace? It does in the Bible. It goes with it. Resist, in other words, the pornography industry. Resist accepting gay marriage as being okay. Resist abortion clinics. In NC-17, in R-rated movies, the drug traffickers, the alcohol industry, the liquor industry, all the anti-Christ-focused forces in America who are trying to remove Jesus from everyone and everything in our society, we're supposed to stand up and resist that. It's time, church. But many times, what do we do? Oh, it's just what's happening. Oh, it's just the world I live in. Oh, things are just falling apart. Peace comes when we take up the sword, kind of like Gideon was told, and go to battle against Satan. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, we are children of the light, and we're to have no fellowship with the fruitless deeds of darkness. James 4.4 4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? The word enmity actually means hatred. And it's time for us to resist the evil that's in our lives and the evil that is around us. If you want to be an enemy of God, then stay in love with the world. If you want to continue walking maybe in lack of peace, stay in love with the world. You say, I can't mix and match you can't mix and match because if you want to mix and match, then the result is a separation from God in eternity, and that's called hell. And that's what God's Word says. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. The death is talking about is the eternal separation. Romans 6, 23 says, The wages of sin is death. See, when you've accepted Christ as a Savior, you've crossed out of an old way of living, and you have a new way of living. And a new way of living is in Christ, in God. And you say, I've done away with that old way. I'm not going to be adulterous people. I'm not going to go back to it. Sometimes we're stuck in pain and turmoil and difficulty and lack of peace because we're still walking with one hand or one foot or half our body in the world. 
Matthew 12, 30 says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And Jesus is telling him, listen, you're either with me or against me. It can't be a little bit this and a little bit that. It's either all or nothing. What is the world? It's anything that is not under the canopy of God. It's anything that doesn't fit underneath the umbrella of God. John 15 says you can't be loved by the world and loved by God. You can't have the peace of God as long as the world has a peace of you. You need to hear that. It's going to be impossible to have the peace of God in your life as long as the world has a peace of you. And we've got to say no to this world. See, does the world love you? And do you love the world, the things of this world? Where do you feel more at home? I mean, that's a good measuring question. Where do you feel more at home? you feel more at home when you're with the church and looking forward to those opportunities at church or when you're someplace far away from it? See, if you're more at home and you feel more comfortable by being out and about in the world and the things the world has to offer than, than being with the church, then you've got to ask yourself a question. What's going on inside of your heart and your mind? See, when I see a bird that looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it has webbed feet like a duck and it paddles in the water like a duck and prefers to hang out with other ducks, I assume it's a duck. And would you not too? Birds of a feather flock together, right? Where are you flying lately? Where have you been spending your time? See, wherever you feel most at home is where your heart is. If you feel most at home at the bar, that's where your heart is. If you feel most at home at the casino, that's where your heart is. If you feel most at home at the pornography place, that's where your heart is. If you feel most at home just gouging yourself with food, that's where your heart is. Wherever you feel most at home, that's what you're in love with. And if you feel most at home when you gather with God's people for times of worship and times of Bible study, then you know your heart is with God. If you go to the workplace, you're like, man, i got to go because i got to work, man, I just don't love it here. I just can't wait to be with my church family and my church friends. You know where your heart is. See, when Peter was released from jail, he was in jail for his faith, he was released from jail, the first place he went was a prayer meeting. First thing he did, he ran to the prayer meeting, not to the local bar to deal with all of his problems. We gravitate where our interests lie. We show up wherever we want to be. Where you are is a testimony of who you are. Where you go, where your feet travel, where you spend your money, where you are, where you go, that's a testimony of who you are. It's not six days with one group and one day with the other. Yes, periodically we do go in these things of the world. The only reason we should go there is to be light. We should want to draw back then with God's people to say, I need to be around God's people, and that's who I love, to lift me up and encourage me. 1 John 3, 14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love our brothers. Look at that verse. We know that we have passed from death, the old way of living, to life, the new way of living in Jesus, because we love our brothers. The fact is, if you don't love the brothers and sisters you have in Christ, if you don't prefer them, then you belong to the other crowd. That's what the Scripture's saying. If you don't prefer to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't love them that much, like, I want to be with them, that's my people, then you prefer the other crowd. God told Gideon, tear down the altars of Asherah poles that represented idolatry and false religion and immorality. And you say, oh, we can't do that because people will get mad. Yeah, people would have got mad then. 
And yes, they will get mad now when you say, I am not participating in the things of this world. I'm knocking it out of my life. God said, get the sword out. And he said, knock it down. Verses 27 through 29, that's exactly what Gideon did. And then in verse 30, the whole town got so mad that they wanted to kill Gideon. That's not the absence of tension. The absence of controversy. That's not problem-free living. What's God asking you to knock down today? What's God telling you? Hey, knock it down. Get it out of your life. And yes, you know, my mom might get mad if I do that. My dad might get mad. My friends might get mad. They may not understand why I'm doing this, but God's calling you to say, knock it down. I grew up singing a song, and some of you may have did it. It was when we were in a kids' choir, back when we did kids' choir. It was not so engaging and fun as we do now. We used to wear these little white robes, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, marching up. And we used to sing a song called Onward Christian Soldiers Marching As to War. Who else did that song? Wow, a lot of you remember that song. I won't sing it for you. I'll spare you the pain. You know, we sang that without the slightest thought of ever going to be a soldier in war. We just marched. It was fun. Onward. No. I embarrassed myself and my wife. But we never really thought we were going to battle. We sing songs today. Lord, I lift your name high. Lord, I want to praise you. Lord, I lift my hands to you. And we have our hands in our pocket and our hands folded. you know that lying is still lying even though when it's set to music? When we want to praise God and say, God, I lift my hands to you, I clap, I honor you, I shout praise, but we won't do it, then we're being a bunch of liars right here amongst one another. I would prefer, if I may suggest, if we're singing a song in worship and it has an action to it, don't sing it if you're not going to do it. I'm sorry, but when you say, Lord, I lift my hands to you, and you're like this holding your cup of coffee, you're saying, God, I'm just putting some words out there for you. And he doesn't appreciate that. See, Gideon understood, I've got to go, I've got to go now. See, Christianity is not a crutch to lean on or a cave to hide on. It's actually a conflict to engage in, and you're going to be more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus our Lord if you engage in the battle. We've got to stand up to our problems. God told Gideon and the Israelites, get out there and face the Midianites, deal with the problem head on, and I will give you peace. Luke 9.23, Jesus said, If anyone come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Does that sound like peace? It came from the Prince of Peace. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. In Luke 9.62, Jesus said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service and the kingdom of God. I mean, does that sound like peace? The absence of tension, no problems, no difficulties, a life of ease and tranquility. He says, Once you accept me, don't look back to the old way. He says, we have a new way, we have a new journey, we have a new challenge before us. Let's press on and go forward. And Luke 9, 24, Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Does that sound like peace and quiet, ease and comfort? You let go of your life. When you lose it, you're going to save it. You can't build many organizations talking about getting killed every day. But when you've accepted the call to be a Christian... When we accepted the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we said life's going to be different. And that's the call. Jesus said, come on, be part of my family. Now, people aren't going to like you. Life's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. You have to die to yourself. But I'll give you peace in the middle of it. 
Why did Paul say the peace of God which transcends all understanding? I think it's because it's so foreign to everything we've ever been taught. It's beyond our mind can comprehend. It's peace in the midst of the storms of life. It's peace that comes from involvement and engagement, not from detachment, not from running and hiding. God says, I'm Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. Take your stand for me and the people in the community, they're going to come after you. People in your life are going to come after you, but I'll come and I'll give you peace that transcends all understanding. Where do you need shalom in your life today? Jehovah Shalom. There can be no peace of God until there is peace with God. It's impossible. You're not going to have the peace of God until you have peace with God. Their own, their own disobedience and evil brought their misery to the Israelites. When they got right with God, then peace would come. Isaiah 48, 22 says, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. So as long as we walk in wickedness, things that are away from God, there will be no peace. But when you get right with God, for some, it's getting right with God today. Accepting the offer of free gift of salvation. For some, it's getting right with God and repenting and turning and saying, God, I've not been walking in peace because I haven't been walking with you. See, there is no peace for those who live in sin cannot miss that there's not going to be peace if you continually choosing to live in sin people hide in caves and try to ignore the problem they'll tell their friends things are fine but really they're far from god and things are not fine romans 10, 14 17 says the kingdom of god is righteousness peace and joy in the holy spirit peace and joy comes in the holy spirit that's what god's kingdom is galatians 5 22 the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience it goes on. See, if you want to have the peace that surpasses all understanding, you have to have Jehovah Shalom living inside of you. You have to have a relationship with Jehovah Shalom walking with you day in and day out, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, making Him the center of your life. You can say all the right words, you can sing all the right songs, give generously in the offering, attend church every Sunday, but until you're reconciled with God, your life is going to be one miserable mess until you say, God, it's not my way, it's your way. And that's for the Christian and the non-Christian. For the non-Christian, it's to repent and turn and say, God, I need you. For the Christian, it's time to repent and turn and say, I haven't been doing it the way I've committed to doing life with you, God. The prodigal son of Luke 15, I love that story. You're familiar with the story. I've used it many times in, in messages when he says, give me my inheritance. He goes off and squanders it all, finds himself living amongst the hogs, and, and notice that the hogs are, are eating better than he was ever eating when he went home and made things right to his father. Everything then started to work out. His dad never moved, but when he came home, his dad had his arm open and threw a party, and God wants to do that for us. God's arms are open. He's ready to throw a party when we turn around and say, hey, God, I've been wrong and I want to do it your way. Are you living in a hog pen this morning? So to speak, are you living away from God? Are you living in a way that you're stressed and you're struggling? You're like, man, I've been trying to do life on my own. You say things are fine. But in reality, you're living as a prince of fools. All things are okay, but in reality, you're stressed and you're overwhelmed and you're lacking peace. Peace comes from right living. Psalm 85.10 says, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Think about it for a moment. Righteousness, choosing to live right in God, 
and peace become one. One kiss is a symbol of being one. God can't save us from ourselves until we are saved from our sins. There won't be peace on earth until Jehovah Shalom reigns on this earth. There won't be peace until Jehovah Shalom rules and reigns in our hearts. Only one person can give peace. That's it. Peace won't come in your spouse. Peace won't come in making more money. Peace won't come in having more degrees. Peace won't come in taking a whole lot more vacations. Peace is not going to come by running and hiding from your problems. Peace will only come when you know Jehovah Shalom. He will come and give us a peace that surpasses all understanding in the midst of whatever trial or challenge you're walking through. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, Help us, Lord, to know Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. Help us, Lord, to trust Jehovah Shalom. Trust Him for our salvation, the provision of Jesus, to trust Jehovah Shalom each and every day. Trust Him that we will choose to live a a life of righteousness, a life that honors God, Lord, in the midst of whatever we're walking through, we pray and ask for Jehovah Shalom to bring peace. Father, help us to stand and resist the devil as he comes at us. Stand and resist and fight. Help us to choose purity. Help us to choose righteousness. And help us, Lord, to walk with God so we discover and we walk in the peace of Jehovah Shalom. Jesus, today, if there's someone in this room that needs to commit their lives to you, would you move in their heart and their mind and have them take that step of faith? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.